Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It's Thursday. That means that wild child from Mitchell, South Dakota, joining us. I, I hear the second most famous person from Mitchell, South Dakota. Well, yeah, I guess so. That's what I'm told recently. <laughs> I don't even the corn palace. top 50 probably, but I'll take second, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to set this up instead of me because this was your grand idea. You brought a guest today. You didn't feel you could pull this one off by yourself, so you brought in the arsenal. I know. I always bring in the big guns, Trent, because I know if I'm going to debate you, I need backup. So, I don't think we're debating anything, by the way, but go ahead. I think we are. So, okay. <laughs> so if if folks have tuned in to Trent and I in recent weeks, we often get into the topic of homeschooling and stepping outside of the system versus staying in the system and fighting to make it better. And you could argue both ways. And there's a lot of good points on both sides, I would say. But of course, as the school year begins, I find myself starting my third year of homeschooling. And one of the people that helped me when I was entering my first year of homeschooling in 2020 with wild eyes and very scared, terrified mother thinking I couldn't do it was today's guest, Jennifer Beving. She's from the Black Hills. She is a champion for homeschooling, homeschooling law, homeschooling rights, and empowering parents to take control of their kids' education. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Amanda. And it is great to be here with you and Trent. I'm really excited. And I think, uh, you know, as as our country has kind of taken an interesting turn, it's more important than ever to have programs like this that people can tune into and really get a sense of what the real people are thinking and feeling. Oh, Amanda, I think she just said we're real people. That's cool. Yeah, she like started the show off with a compliment, which is never my style. So. She's trying to, she's, she's like an attorney in a deposition trying to lure me in to like her right away. You know, you nailed it on the head because I think she is an attorney. Are you really? Yes. Oh, yeah, see? You get the compliments. come through. Yeah. Compliments right off the bat. It always helps. <laughs> well, maybe what, that would okay. be a good place well, to start. Like, what is your story? And- how did you come to be a homeschooling mom? So my mind again. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, yeah. Well, I grew up in South Dakota on a farm um, by Clark, so not too far from where you are, Amanda. And we had we farmed, we had cattle. And then um, I left, went to college, got some degrees there, went on to law school, got my law degree and came back to the Black Hills and just, I was really excited to become a trial attorney. It had been my dream forever. So I was starting that out and it felt great and it was going well. And then I started having kids and I was like, Ooh, this gets a little trickier. I I wasn't loving putting my little babies into daycare every day, but um, when it really took a turn was when they were about to go to kindergarten. And my oldest child had been in the state-funded preschool program, the birth to three sort of program, because she had a speech delay. And so I had about nine months experience in that program and watching how it was working. And the people were were good and they were trying to help her. But I just thought, you know, they're not, this isn't for us. They're not going to be able to give her the help that she needs. And I know she's not going to be as far ahead 
as if I would just do this myself. And so after five years of living my dream as a trial attorney, uh, I threw it in, threw in the towel, essentially, and said, we're going to homeschool. And at the time, I'd never met a single person who homeschooled ever. I, I didn't even know if it was a real thing. My husband's like, can we really do this? Can you can you educate your kids outside of the school? Like, are they going to be weird? Are they going to be socially awkward? Like, how is this going to go? And I was like, I don't know. We just have to try, at least for kindergarten, first grade. You know, my I kept saying in Finland, they don't start kids in kindergarten until se- they're seven years old. So I'm like, let's try two years. And if we really screw her up, we'll just move to Finland and like get her in kindergarten on time. And we won't have like screwed her up that much. But then my middle daughter came up and we started with her and then my son. And now my oldest is a ninth grader and just, you know, we're doing great. My oldest is taking classes through the University of Nebraska online high school doing well. She just tried out for um, the local sports soccer team, which you can in South Dakota as a homeschooler. You can take advantage of sports in your local schools. And so she tried out and made the varsity soccer team. And so She's been busy with that. And yeah, we haven't looked back. And really now thinking about it, um, there's no other way I'd really want to live this lifestyle. It was terrifying for me at first. But um, I see so many benefits and my kids are happy and healthy and our family. You know, we have such a great family lifestyle here where we're sitting down to dinner, maybe not dinner, but lunch and breakfast every night um, together. We have meals together, you know, at least one a day, maybe two. And um, I just decided to sort of make this my mission to advocate for homeschooling. It's not as hard as you think it's going to be. Teaching your kids really is not that hard. It's more about the sacrifice, uh, you know, giving up a career, giving up that income, or, you know, just spending eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day with children with no break, which I think um, you know, as maybe a little harder for moms that thought they were going to enter like a professional corporate work world. But I just wanted to kind of be a voice for people. It's not hard. It's not really that expensive. I mean, the options out there, the free options are just unlimited, really. I um, am horrible at algebra, but my kids are great at it. So because I don't teach them, I got them in an online program that's 20 bucks a month. So So yeah, so that's where I am. And then when COVID hit, it really, I don't know, weirdly homeschooling became cool, I guess. And all of a sudden I find myself on the news and writing a book and being interviewed. And I was just like, this is never where I thought this would, this would take me. But, um, and then I don't know if you want to talk about this right now, but we got South Dakota got involved in writing legislation for homeschooling um, right after COVID when there were a lot of people looking to leave their states that were locking down um, with COVID restrictions and Governor Nome got a hold of a group that I'm in called FairSD. Um, and they said, what's the deal? Are, are these homeschooling laws bad? Or, you know, why are they? I have people from California that want to move here because of our COVID policies, because they can walk around without a mask and they can run their business, but they're scared of the homeschooling laws. Is this true? And we he said, yeah, it's true. The laws in the books were bad. They allowed the government to come into your home, to examine your home, to take your kids, put them back in public school for really no reason. It, if they felt like it, they could do it. And so the governor and her administration said, well, let's let's change this. She's like, what's your dream homeschooling scenario? Write that bill. And so we did. We spent all of summer 
of 2020 writing that bill. And then we spent all winter of 2020 and 2021 fighting it and eventually got it through with bipartisan support. And now we are reaping the benefits of it. I mean, my child being able to try out for a local sports team and have them embrace her on that public school sports team was a direct result of that bill. And my kid's so happy and she's up early every morning working out, getting herself to practice. And the coaches have been great and the school has been great and welcoming. And so it just feels like a little bit of a different world than what we were living in before. So I guess in that way, COVID has had a few silver linings. She's good. She's just going to run the show today. Like she's got I know. This. I'll just sit here and push the buttons. Just get out so- of her way. Before we lose track of this, you said you have written a book, authored a book about this? Yeah. When we were sort of locked down during COVID, um, a friend of mine said, and she's written and self-published some other books, and she said, let's write a like a quick start manual for homeschoolers. And it's called Homeschooling When You Have To. And it mm-hmm. was just like how to dive in, you know, when you don't really want to spend a year researching curriculum. We just threw ideas out in this book. It's on Amazon. Um, you can get it on a free download right now if people want to. We weren't looking to make a fortune off from it. We were really just looking to help people. We got to take a break already. Amanda Radke, Jennifer Beving. I did that right correctly? Beving? Mm-hmm. We continue to talk about homeschooling, and I believe the number is 1.2 million Chitlins in the United States are homeschooled. And Amanda has told us that 80,000 in the state of South Dakota alone. We'll see if those numbers are right when we get back with more Roll Route after this. When I have, over the years, shared the information because people want to be critical of nitrates, people want to be critical of estrogen, I'll tell people that you, you're worried about your bacon, or your ham because it's cured and it might have nitrates, but you flock to eating leafy greens because leafy greens are the highest level of nitrate possible. And you know what the first question that person always asks me? How do they get them in there? How do they get them in there, Nathan? Well, they're, they're cured, right? They're cured vegetables. And vegetables actually cure many diseases. So just like your bacon's cured, you know, I wrote a paper called uh, Nitrite, the cure for chronic disease. So just like nitrite, nitrate cure meat and prevent, you know, lipid oxidation and prevent, you know, food spoilage and bacterial infections and or bacterial overgrowth in the food, they do the same thing to us. They cure a lot of things because they improve nitric oxide, they improve oxygenation, they prevent oxidation, inflammation, and immune dysfunction. You want to live a cured life? Take a nitric oxide supplementation every day like I do. No2u.com. It's no2u.com. Put trend as your coupon code and you win big favors because you get free shipping and a 10% discount. Welcome back. We'll roll out. Trent Luce alongside Jennifer Bebbing, Amanda Radke already fact checking me. Disregard, jury, please disregard what I said previously. 8,000 homeschool students in South Dakota. 8,000. Uh, I'm not sure Amanda knows this. Maybe she does. Kelly, that's my wife, Jennifer, homeschooled Lindsay in second grade. That's our middle of three daughters. And so we know what what it's like. And the one thing that I will say to anybody thinking about it is that as the parent, you need to dedicate the time to do it. Make sure you have that window that you're going to get that done every day because stuff still happens. And you have to be in school not deal with what happens you know like the horse is running 
your yard, like right there. <laughs> Deal with that later. The interesting thing about the three of our girls that Kelly homeschooled, and, and we would consider it a success. I think it was really good. Most importantly, I got Kelly and Lindsay kind of on the same page because they were at odds frequently. I'll just leave it at that. But Lindsay is the only social one of the three. She is a social butterfly. She has to be interacting with people. So we pulled her into the house. It's not like she's not interacting with kids and people all the time. Anyway, that's such an old myth and misnomer. But from a school standpoint, she was the one that had to be with other kids. In fact, when 2020, when she's in high school and doing online, she was horrible. She was horrible at online because she feeds off of being with other people. Landry, our youngest, that was like a dream for her because she can get her stuff done. She's going to graduate from high school next year, and she's going to have 24 college credits. She's above, beyond a, a junior college graduate level by the time she graduates from college. So every kid's different is my point, and you have to recognize that if you're homeschooling. You know, what yeah. I've realized, oh, man. I, was, I was super scared about socializing the kids, and you know you said if you're going to homeschool, you have to dedicate the time to teaching them. And so my first year, and I was probably really hard on Scarlett because I thought, oh, she's going to be behind and we have to check off all the boxes and we have to do all the things in every curriculum. And and so our kindergarten year probably wasn't very fun. And now entering year three, I've realized that the value of homeschooling isn't just in the curriculum you pick and that it reflects your your values and and your goals for your kids and you're matching their specific needs and personalities and learning styles. But the real value of homeschooling is that relationship building, like Jennifer said, as a family, and that the education often comes from, okay, life does happen. We have to go visit a sick relative. We have to go do something on the farm. We have to interact with, you know, mom has to do something for work. So you're going to come along for the ride and you're going to learn to to visit with adults and behave in a public setting. Um, one of the things that impressed upon me, going back to the um, South Dakota bill, was I was there when it was being debated on the House floor. And Jennifer was there too, very heavily involved in the fight. And all of these homeschool families filled the the room, the building. And they were there with their kids and the mom and the dad. They were so respectful and so, you know, well-spoken and just super professional. And like this unit, this nuclear family showed up to fight for their rights. And it was like, I looked around and I was like, man, I wasn't sure about homeschooling, but I looked around at all these families and I was like, man, I want to have families that look like this, that act like this in a public setting. These kids are like top tier. And and then on contrast to hear what the legislators had to say about these families and how terrible and awful they were and how the government should have the ultimate authority in raising the children. Uh, it was eye-opening to say the least. Jennifer, would you would you agree with, with that statement? Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, and obviously um, what people said about homeschooling was really divided down party lines. So um, we, we were in a hearing and I don't remember if it was the state affairs or if it was the House Ed or Senate Ed. Um, and we had people testifying and one of the one of the legislators said, you know, this is how I want my life to feel. I want to feel families like this. I want to see kids able to sit still be respectful, um, prepare a speech, come well dressed, and you know, and believe in a cause. And he he was like, because of that, just because of how this makes me feel, it takes me back to my childhood. And he goes, I, um, sorry, it says I'm losing connection. Um, 
I, he said that was, you know, for him, like a really motivating factor. He's like, I, I go to my public school and I support them, but I don't see things like this. I don't see family connections like this. And so, yeah, that was really interesting. And then on the, you know, you get the people on the other side of the aisle that would say, you know, oh my gosh, these, I mean, they accuse us of being human traffickers and abusers and it was just wild. And so it was very definitely a political um, situation, but I think, you know, that was part of our goal in getting these families here was to, you know, look at how well-spoken these kids are. They're not scared. They're not, they haven't been hidden in the closet, you know, older siblings helping younger siblings and everyone making it work. And so I think we really made a big impression. And I think it was great for the people of South Dakota homeschoolers in particular to see that their voices could make a change. We had one lawmaker stand up and he said, I don't like this bill at all, but I've gotten 4,000 phone calls and I'm not going to get reelected unless I pass this. So I'm passing. (laughs) And I was like, well, I guess, I guess it's working. I guess that's where we are. Well, let me also just add for those parents, i.e. teachers who took their kids to the Capitol, they just those kids just received a civics lesson that's unparalleled in any public school system because they saw government working in front of them. They were part of it. And and I think Amanda is extremely good at that just because I keep track of her. Jennifer, I'm not saying you're not. But what she said earlier about incorporating what happens in the day into the, the curriculum and the educational process, that's huge. No teacher. That's an unfair advantage to every public school teacher because they don't have the opportunity to do that. Right, exactly. And I think um, when you're looking at homeschooling and education in particular, you have the formal education, which would be sitting down with a workbook and filling in the boxes. And then you have informal Um, which would be going to the Capitol, I don't know, going to the bank, learning how to navigate interpersonal relationships, learning how to speak to adults. And, you know, the formal is very easy. It's easy and quick and cheap to get my kid to sit down in front of a workbook. They don't love it, but they'll do it. They'll tick the boxes. Um, The informal, I think, is what really takes that hands-on time. And you're right, Trent, that's hard to do in a school. It's hard for one teacher that has 25 kids to be like, okay, well, let's walk down and watch the courthouse, you know, and let's, let's all have interpersonal conversations and, and deal with um, a, a disagreement in a, in a calm way. It's just not something that can be done in the public school classroom. So it's very difficult. And what I think is important, um, even if you, if you're not, excuse me, if you're not homeschooling is that we try to reach out and tell parents, like, you still have to be involved. These teachers can't raise your kids for you there's like still a multitude of things that you need to be teaching these kids and working with them every day, one-on-one and, you know, have your priorities of where, how you want these kids to be raised and how you want them influenced. The teachers are a small part of that. And hopefully they're a good part of that um, in some States, (laughs) but, you know, I think parents have a little bit sort of been like, Oh, well, here's the public school. Here's my kid for eight hours. And then they're a little shocked when they're coming back, believing in politics that are different than them. And they're believing in, some ideologies that are just completely foreign to this family and it's destroying families as, as these kids get out of school that, you know, have been sort of taught to hate their ignorant parents that believe in God or believe in more conservative values. And these kids have been taught the opposite. And so I think it's really important um, to maintain those connections with your kids, even if they're in public school. You, you just said a mouthful to me, and that really is the whole discussion. And apparently the white elephant in the room, because nobody wants to talk about it. 
I, I witness far too many parents that use the school to raise their kids, to babysit their kids, to take care of them because they, they want to go to work and not be involved, that male and female. I think that's heavily geared towards the female. They just want somebody else to take care of it. They don't want to be involved. I, I don't understand that. I had, a, I had a mom just tell me just this week, I can't wait for school to get started because my kids are driving me crazy. And yeah. what I found, I probably used to feel like that. Like, oh, it's going to be such a load off me. Like, it's it's going to be so, so, it would totally be easier to just drop them off and forget about them and then unplug and work and make as much money as I could and then spend the, do the fun stuff on the weekends and the evenings. But what I found in our homeschool is, my kids can't learn. They can't do their worksheets. They can't do anything unless we have a good relationship. So what I've realized is I have to work on their hearts first, and then we work on our education. And I feel like it's the flip side when you're just dumping your kids off because, well, you just have to show up and go to school no matter what, no matter what else is going on in your life. So I think we can really get to the heart of a lot of problems and issues right away because we have that ability to grow those relationships with lots of time spent together. You don't have to work on Croy's heart. He's got a heart of gold. We'll take a break. We're halfway through Roll Route. We'll be back with more Homeschooling 101. Where's the debate? Amanda promised to debate. I don't hear it. Bye. Continuing to get the information that you need to arm yourself to stand up for property rights. See, here's the problem. Too many people sit back and wait for somebody, elected official, whatever the case may be, to do it for you. You can't. But you can turn to protecttheharvest.com, protecttheharvest.com, sign up for the email newsletter. You can get information on a timely basis about what is going on and always what is the solution. That is what we need to be focused on. How do we maintain a free society and a well-fed nation? That's the moral of the story, protecttheharvest.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside Jennifer Beving, author, mother, attorney. I try to say it under my breath. Amanda Radke, are you going to go back and be an attorney one day? You know, I'm sort of using it right now. Just, I mean, getting my child enrolled and access to sports, I had to put on my legal hat just to make sure that the schools knew what the new law was. Um, I do some policy work occasionally for legislators when they say, hey, we're, we're looking at this bill. Can you, you know, look at what the ramifications might be? But I don't think I would ever go back into the courthouse, really. My kids are going to be graduated by the time I have some free time. And then I, I don't know, they want to travel or do nothing for a little while. So here's where her legal work shines. Like, like I said, when I first started homeschooling, I was trying to learn mm-hmm. as much as I could. And I joined uh, a Facebook group that Jennifer spearheads. And the very first pinned post was a video of her with her legal hat on talking about how you can legally homeschool in the state and what you need to do and how you need to file and all of those things. And then, um, you know, very active now, of course, in making sure that the schools, the administrators, the um, our legislators understand what the new law is, because now that it's passed, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, followed through with because people either just don't know about the policy change um, and they want to turn homeschoolers away or parents aren't able to advocate for themselves. So they get kind of bullied and, and those opportunities are lost. So it's, it's just like the Constitution. It doesn't really mean much. It's just a piece of paper unless it's followed through on. And, and that's what Jennifer is doing with her skill set, I think, now is 
making sure that our homeschool laws are actually in, um, followed through on. So Jennifer, the only issue I have with homeschooling was, isn't an issue with the education. It's an issue with, uh, and, and I'm at a bias because I am more heavily taxed than most people from a property tax standpoint that edu- that funds the local school system. As a homeschooler, you still pay property tax. You still pay money to to indoctrinate kids at the public school system. I want to find a balance in there because if a, if a parent and that, that's a tough thing because not everybody who funds a school is a parent. It's funded by the local. It's just a mess. There needs to be a solution to that. Do you have a proposal for that? I wish. As I was preparing to come on here, I was like, okay, what's the solution? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not what I would say anti-school choice. I would say I would like these school choice bills, like what we're talking about, like the education savings accounts, maybe like what Arizona passed. Um, West Virginia passed one. I know there's been some floated around South Dakota. Essentially, they're going to give families in these bills. The Arizona one, for instance, gives families $7,000 per kid per year, sort of no strings technically attached to use on education. And I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I think for the most part, Arizonans can just take it out of their public school. They have to unenroll in public school, then they have to go to a charter or a private or it can somewhat be used in homeschool. The bill was really long and I can't um, quite understand it. But um, yeah, I think a lot of, I pay a crazy amount in property tax too. And so um, that was one thing when we were fighting our bill and we were asking for access to public schools. We said, we want our students to take some, be able to take classes. Like if my child wants to go take algebra in the public school, she should have that right. Or if my son wants to go play football, he should have the right to go try out because that's my tax dollars funding that school. And we're getting zero benefit from those tax dollars unless you let us um, use them in that way. And that was a really good argument. And a lot of people were like, well, yeah, I guess that's true. And it was um, a really efficient use of the money because the money's not having to come back to me. Nobody's writing checks. Nobody's um, approving this process. They're just like, okay, if you're in the public school, obviously you can have access to it. And so what some of these other bills want to do is take money from the public school coffers, I guess you'd say, taxpayer money, and then dole it out. And I don't really have a problem with it. I want to get some of these kids out of these dismal public schools. And I don't I think as far as a country, if there's one issue that unites us, it's Democrats and Republicans, is that the schools aren't working. You know, that's one thing we can probably all agree on is they're not working. So we have to do something. And if taking some money to get a child um, out of a public school into a private school is what people believe might be helpful, I'm not necessarily against that. My, My question is, when did the government strings start following that money? And then it, let's say all kids in South Dakota just leave public school and they go to homeschool and they go to these private schools. And then in a few years, the legislature changes or our governor changes and they easily tack on a bill that says, well, um, you actually have to teach this gender ideology curriculum and you actually have to do these standardized tests and whatever else. Um, to get this money. And now we're all dependent on that money. And now I just feel like we're, we're, the trap has been sprung and we're all government schools. Every school is a government school. My home has now turned into a government school because I got hooked on this money, of course. And it's very similar. The federal government did it to 
the states when they try to take over education. In 1979, they created the DOE and they started dangling these huge billion dollar carrots in front of state schools. They said, well, we're just trying to get our science numbers and our math numbers up. So teach this curriculum and we'll give your state a billion dollars. And then, you know, hire these kind of teachers with these kind of degrees and we'll give you this money. And now the states don't really have a say over what they do. And I think we're seeing that with the um, school lunch bill that's sort of being held over the heads of these states. It, you know, if if states aren't willing to do some sort of transgender bathroom situation, they're going to pull these free lunches for kids. And so if that's happening from federal to state, my concern is if you don't totally trust your state legislature and your governor, is that what's going to happen from state to family in private schools? And all of a sudden, there's just no escape. And so what I really am arguing for with these bills is almost like a black box warning on them. I want people to know yeah, this money is free in this bill right now. There's there's no strings, but it's not. A, it could possibly not always be that way. You could be subject to government regulations anytime you're taking government money, and that's just not the talking points that a lot of these um, governors have. You know, they're just championing this free money for people. And I've I've yet to see a time in our history that free government money actually ended up being A, a good thing, and B, No, there is no such thing. If you're taking a government dollar at some point, they're going to tell you what to do. There's going to be a stipulation. Jennifer, you're talking to a guy who's been in agriculture. I'm 56. I guess Kelly tells me I'll be 56 in October. I've never taken a dollar. Never taken one subsidy dollar from the USDA, never signed up for a program, took my farm out of the basis when I bought it. I did all those other things. But I think what we're ha- what we have happening is the people are getting uh, caught up and confused in terms like school choice. I, I, the state legislature is only trying to meddle in what the homeschoolers in the state are doing if they're authorizing some bill to give funding to homeschoolers. I was part of a governor campaign earlier this year in the primary season where we talked about the money needs to follow the kid. But that was within the public school system. If the kid goes to a charter school or the kid is homeschooled, there is no money that comes from the state. That's a whole different thing. And, in fact, I can take you to the charter schools in Nebraska, the private schools. Uh, I'll talk about Nebraska Christian in particular. They educate kids with the best education that I'm aware of and do it at $4,000 less per student than the average public school. So once you take that dollar from the government, you're completely hornswoggled. That's my word of the month. You're hornswoggled into doing that. And the only reason the state legislature is trying to pass that is so that they have a thread to be able to get in there to you. Right, right. And I think, you know, we see this, the Arizona bill in particular has just really blown up the news and the governor is on and just, this is a great, and they're flowing money from their public school coffers to private, to charters and homeschoolers are included. And I'm not sure how. In South Dakota, we have had a system of open enrollment since, I don't know, 1996. So any child in South Dakota can go to any public school. You don't have to live in the district. It's a simple one piece of paper. I just did it for my child. So even as a homeschool child, if I want to take advantage of a, a larger district and go take a few classes or go play sports in a larger district or a smaller, that's allowed. And so as I w- I've been thinking about this debate, I'm like, South Dakota is on the cutting edge of this true school choice. We can choose our districts without cost. You can homeschool. You can choose your districts in homeschool. And homeschoolers can go in 
and take classes. And a lot of those homeschoolers end up being coming part of that school. They like, they get in, they feel comfortable. They like the teachers, whatever. And it's been working great as far as I've heard so far. But yeah, Trent, I think you're right. If it's flowing within that system, I mean, that's totally something. And we absolutely should be doing that. South Dakota has been doing it for 20 years with, I don't know, I don't see any bad ramifications from it. Um, you know, that's, I think, a first step in the right direction before we just start sending four, five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 into homes and hoping for the best. So like as right. an example, in California, they, they do get money for homeschooling. And that also includes a government worker visiting these families in their homes. And so like you can't teach creation, you have to teach evolution. And if they, you know, they, they can decide that you can't use your curriculum on or your money on curriculum that has any religion in it. It has to be a secular program. Otherwise you can't use the dollars. And so there are strings attached. And so when I hear like very strong conservatives from Trump on down talking about school choice, school choice, I just have to say, I just have to pause a second and step back and say, I know what you're saying is a popular thing to say. It sounds really good at its face, but you're dangling a carrot that ultimately could be a trap. And so even what I found in, because I really did not want to homeschool, I was very reluctant. I felt like I had, like the book. You want somebody else to raise your kids, Jennifer. (laughs) I have to do this. I wasn't planning to do it. I didn't want to do it. And what I found in, in even researching private Christian schools, it was important for me to ask, where does your curriculum come from? And sadly, sometimes the answer was, it comes from the public school. It's the same common core that parents hate. It's the same junk that I was trying to avoid in the first place. And so the devil's in the details, unfortunately. And parents just, no matter what their choice is, I think having that due diligence and being willing to say, that's not what I want for my kids is the best course of action. And I've talked right up to the break, haven't I, Trent? You have. Roll out. Last segment after this. And now let's talk about Certified Piedmontese and the opportunity to continue to grow a brand of beef program that has some pretty good volume but needs more cattlemen in the Great Plains of America to be a part of the system. Consistent demand, consistent supply leads to consistent demand. And that is exactly why we use the Piedmontese sires from Lone Creek to get all of this done. I've got to tell you, and you can go to my Facebook page. I posted some pictures of my purebred Piedmontese calves. You don't need to raise purebreds. You just take bulls like these and breed them to your cows. And then you make the F1s, half Piedmontese, all possessing one copy of the myostatin gene. And you qualify for the premium to the tune of $180 per head. Over market price at a six-weight calf. Do the math on that. Details can be found by going to the website LoneCreekCattleCo.com. For sure, find the number and get a hold of the person to talk to about being a part of the system. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside Jennifer Beving from me. Are you in Mead County? I am, yep. Amanda Radke, she's in Mitchell. There is no county. It's just Mitchell. Just a bunch of corn. And a palace. And a palace. The corn palace. All right, Amanda, where do we go from here? You know, I... is the prototype for how all, all state legislators should have laws for homeschooling. Is that the moral of the story? I mean, as I was thinking about this and looking at this, I, I'm not sure if that's not the moral of the story. Um, like, I want kids, you know, we have to do something about these schools. Our literacy rate across the country is below 50%. 
in, in every school, in every state. We don't have more than 50% reading at proficiency levels. Um, so I don't know if it's not like, let's open up enrollment, let kids choose their public schools, let them, you know, make homeschooling accepts accessible. What we did in South Dakota is, uh, really put it into the hands of the parents. There's no strings. There's no money. I mean, you don't, you have to fund this yourself. Um, but if you need help, like if I, if I was struggling with getting my child to up to speed in reading, I can go enroll her in the public school in just reading class. So I just take her for that hour. She goes to reading. I pick her up afterwards, comes home. Uh, We have services like that in schools. Or if my, you know, if I have a kid like your child, Trent, that's just like, oh my gosh, I need some social interaction. She could go to choir or to band, FFA, they can do um, any of these things. And so I'm like, I'm not sure that this model isn't where to start instead of, throwing money at these families that are eventually going to constrain how they teach. So Jennifer, you said on the break that you thought maybe in South Dakota, the numbers were going to increase exponentially here, like 10, 12,000 students in homeschooling. And I think it might be valuable because I get messages every single day. Amanda, I've fed up with the school. They did X, Y, Z. Like I've, I've drawn my line in the sand. I'm done. And so they are now the ones that are entering into this space, scared and nervous, but feeling like this is the path I need to be on. What's your advice for families getting started? Um, Because I know it took a lot to get me kind of over that hump of feeling just absolutely terrified of what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, my advice is it's not nearly as hard. I don't think it's as hard as it used to be. If you have the internet out there, you have one connections. I mean, People talk to me every day too, and I will respond as quickly as I can in real time via Facebook um, or my website. If people hop on there and message me there, I'm trying to reach out right away. And I say, I always say connection first with your kid. If you have a good relationship with your kid um, and they trust you and you're enjoying what you're doing, their reading will come. You know, I have some kids who are not quick early readers. There were some issues there. It took forever. I felt like banging my head against a wall for a lot of years. And then all of a sudden, my oldest, we went to the bookstore and she bought 10 books and read them all in a week. And so um, I think it's a, it's a little bit, um, you need to de-school yourself is what, you know, a term that people use. You need to understand that not all, you're pulling your kids out of the school because you don't like something. And it's possibly you don't like um, the speed or the sort of assembly line methods of teaching. And so you got to get rid of that in your home. And you just have to say, you know, we're going to, we're going to work on our relationship. We're going to work on reading this year. You don't need to do reading and biology and social studies and spelling and writing. You don't have to do them all in one day. So sort of pick your, your focus. I'm like reading, of course, writing, math, those need to be a focus. Um, when our family does science, we a lot of times watch a documentary. I'm like, I can't compete with the Discovery Channel for production value. So why am I trying? So sit down and watch this documentary. We just watched my octopus teacher and we were all bawling and it was amazing documentary. Um, and so that's what we do instead of getting a textbook. And so the kids really enjoy that. But the relationship always has to come top, top priority. And then, I, you know, I think everything else sort of flows. And there's a lot of great online schools. If you don't like teaching, like I'm not teaching my high school daughter at all. She logs in, does all her stuff online. Um, occasionally, she'll ask me a question. Last time she did, it was an English question. I got it wrong. 
for her. <laughs> it was the only thing she got wrong on her quiz. And I'm an English literature major. So um, that was embarrassing. But there's so many online and there's free online programs out there. And so, you know, it's just it doesn't have to be you in front of a chalkboard eight hours a day. Like it really probably shouldn't look like that. It's not going to go well that way. So I'm like, kind of live your life, have your kids at the table working with you and you're doing your stuff. And um, you know, keep it fun, keep it light and keep your priority. Why, why did you not like the public school? Keep that like priority at the top of the list and, mm-hmm. and reach out for some local support, I think is the, maybe the most important. Jennifer, I have to ask you about this because you mentioned that your daughter pretty much teaches herself. I understood the context you put that in, but you also said that she uses UNL university of Nebraska Lincoln. Uh, I had this conversation with my governor this week because, see, what I've been looking for is a school system that wants to take a stand and tell the federal government, a public school system, that wants to take a stand and say, we will not take a federal dollar to educate our kids. I want the first school that's going to stand up and say, we will do that. And by the way, it's going to happen in Oklahoma before it happens anywhere else. I got Governor Kevin Stitt on from Oklahoma today. They're going to make make that happen. But... I was talking to Governor Ricketts and, you know, I said, how do we wean ourselves off? And he said, well, certainly not like the University of Nebraska is doing. They take gobs. That was his word, gobs of money. I want to tell you what, I know what's happening at the University of Nebraska. I know the chancellor personally. I know how they are just, they're they're prostitutes in taking money from the federal government and doing things that you, neither one, would allow to have your kids do. So all that long, drawn-out setup was, how do you monitor the online curriculum to make sure that it's not coming in the back door online when you think it's coming from a reputable source? Yeah, so what she has, um, she we have the workbooks. And so, like, right now, she's doing um, English literature. And so she's reading To Kill a Mockingbird. And then... Um, there's like three questions after each one that she writes like a small little essay to prove that she's short sort of read it and got something out of it. Um, and so as far as that goes, it's, it's really good. You know, she's reading, I don't know, the Pearl by Steinbeck and then a couple other of like classic literature that I would approve that we have already in our library here. And the other one is just basic grammar. And so it's like, you know, where's the, prepositional phrase in here and so there's nothing and there's she does have um some oh, so that's inter- where they're getting those pronouns in her head right there through that grammar well maybe maybe <laughs> hopefully pronouns guess- aren't bad it's the use of the pronoun <laughs> yes. that is a problem yes um but okay, we're not we're Bradley not- we'll call on you later in the basement <laughs> <laughs> We're not super invested in the program. So if you think I need to look into it doubly, I certainly will. But there's but other You schools. can't just blindly take something online either, is my point. Right. Right. Um I feel I like- tell you, University of Nebraska is a disaster. I felt good about this just because of the because they send you a spiral bound workbook. So you see literally everything that your child reads. Now, will I know everything the teacher says to her? No. I won't unless I sit there, which I could. They, I think they have three interactions with teachers per semester where they'll have on a meeting and the teacher will say, did you understand this? Um, and so what I like about the program, it's accredited. It's NCAA accredited. Um, so she could get a degree from this high school if she wanted to. I don't know if that's the route that we're going to go, but she can get a degree just like any other high school, um, get a diploma, get straight into and NCAA sports if she wants to. So 
And there's a lot of schools out there doing that. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, uh, you have to be careful. You definitely have to be careful because I, I don't know that I would send my child to the university of Nebraska to go live and, you know, learn in that environment. So, but there's, there's a lot of programs out there. Where did you go to law school? Um, I went to Drake in Des Moines, oh, Iowa. Greater Des Moines. Greater Des Moines. It was quite That's the big city. That's not exactly a conservative bastion of thought. It, it was, you know, I was so naive when I went that I didn't really even, you know, I wasn't really involved in politics. And it was sort of, I think, before things got so divided. So um, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was too indoctrinated in college or law school, really, I felt like it was, uh, I mean, there were certain things, there were definitely certain things in law school that I was like, well, if I take this argument, you know, I'm not going to get a good grade. So I'm going to have to modulate my, my argument on this. So I guess there was a little bit in there. But. Law still, still t- teaches case law instead of this document that I carry in my pocket. This is the only thing you need to teach in law school, not case law. Yeah, I agree. And you come out of law school and you don't know really what you're doing yet still. So it's three years at thirty or $40,000 a year, and then you still need to find someone to train you. So, so Jennifer, you've uh, actually pushed roll route to a new milestone when Amanda Radke's involved. There's never been a time she said fewer words in a 48-minute segment than today. So kudos <laughs> to you for pulling something off. I mean, she just, she just says all that needs to be said. Like I told you, I was bringing the heavy hitters. Like, I love it. I've just enjoyed listening and learning. And I have, it it does take the homeschooling space. It does take the, the experts, the ones that have the older children that have been doing it for a long time to kind of walk alongside the newbies and the ones, the little kids. And I'm, I'm just immensely grateful for the, the seasoned warriors who have kind of walked through that and forged that path. And that goes back to even, um, you know, in the early days where parents were being arrested for truancy um, and their kids being taken from them because they were fighting for homeschool rights. So this is not like a new fad. This is something that's been a long fought battle that now we get to reap the benefits of. Jennifer, one thing that I beat over the head of Amanda Radke is that even though she's a homeschooling parent, you still have to stay involved in what's happening in your public school system. Number one, they're spending your money. Number two, they're influencing your community, future leaders. And there is nothing. This is where Amanda and I agree 100%, 1,000% lock and step. There is nothing in this country needs to be fixed more than what's happening in education. Yes. 30 yeah, seconds. I- Jennifer, 30 seconds. For, you did not mention your website. You said you had a website, but make sure we oh, know where to go get your website. Yeah, uh, you can just go to jenniferbeving.com. But I agree. I, actually, in our big school district out here in Rapid City, the president of the school board is a homeschooling mom. And several of our school districts around here, the parent, the presidents or members are homeschoolers. And so uh, there's a lot of involvement. And I think that's probably why South Dakota is, is starting to have this you know, sort of weird, robust school choice situation that we have going on. And for the most part, it seems like it's going well and everyone's happy. That'll do it. We have successfully journeyed down the road, connecting rural and urban America for Amanda Radke, Jennifer Beving, Trent Luce. All three of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route in Meade County, South Dakota, with a buzz in the air around Sturgis. Don't forget to go to Amanda's website as well, amandaradke.com. 
She's got this new line of heifer shirts and <laughs> tumblers. Not today, heifer. What does that mean? Where does she come up with this stuff? Go check it out at amandaradke.com. And this weekend, I'll be back at the home of the Wall of Honor, paying tribute to those that have sacrificed for us, thewallofhonor.com.